ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Cynthia Prefontaine, how are you? I am great, and you? I'm good. Hey, I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with ATV Talk. We really appreciate it. I know you guys are busy and, and you have a lot of things on your plate. It took quite a while for us to, to get this time with you. So um, give me a little bit of insight to uh, Cynthia and, and, and tell the listeners uh, a little bit about your beginnings. Um, actually, my beginning is kind of funny because I decided to buy a quad. I was 13 year old, decided to put my, <laughs> I was making $60 a week at 13 year old. I was making pizza, um, decided to buy a quad. And then one thing led into another. Then I ended up watching Montreal Supercross in 2003, where Michael Walsh, Dana Creech and Jasmine Plant were battling for a first. And I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. I got to do this. I had no idea, nothing about motocross, like ATV motocross. I really didn't know nothing. Watching them, I thought it was easy. <laughs> they really make it look easy. Um, so I had a real eye opener because then I bought a 250R and went to my first race and I realized how not easy it was. Um, so that first year, I mean, you got to think I was 15 then, um, at 15 years old, I have no background of nothing. I had to lie to my parents to go racing cause they didn't want me to. <laughs> so there goes me making phone calls over the weekend, like trying to find people that are going to the races at 15, you don't have a license. Um, then leaving my quad at my friends. So people, well, my parents wouldn't know that I was going out to race. <laughs> so my buddy, my buddies would just pick me up and we would go racing out of 13 races. I attended, I finished three because I didn't even know how to change oil, how to change your air filter. I didn't know nothing. Zero. Um, so I learned a hard way cause I, I couldn't even tell you today if my quad was a good quad when I bought it. Like I seen it, I was like, cool. I have the money for it. That's what I'm buying. <laughs> so it had like sled shocks on it, like snowmobile shock. I remember that they were yellow <laughs> and um, that's how I started. But then I realized that I was gonna have to learn to do my own mechanic and I mean, a little bit of basic maintenance, because obviously it doesn't work if you just put gas in it and go, especially in racing, you have to be on point. Um, and back then we didn't have a women class. So I had to race Well, racing was really booming back then. So we had three gates of beginners. We had to qualify <laughs> when you can't even jump. That's <laughs> a bit tough. <laughs> so, um, anyways, long story short, I ended up doing some ATV courses, like at the beginning of the year, they would have the Buddy Ford Riding School, I think it was called. I did a couple of those and start watching, actually, Jasmine Plant was, um, well, he was practicing where I would go practice. So, and I learned a lot by watching and obviously he's a good one. So that helped me a lot. And I just 
raced until 2008 then. Well, I was a young adult then and I had my apartment and I wanted to buy a car. So I sold everything. (laughs) That was a regret. Um, And then I'm sure you guys have heard because it made a huge impact on the sport. But uh, one of my friend, Catherine, she passed away. Catherine Plant. I don't know how you would translate the name, but uh, 105 was her number. And she passed away in 2010. And that really affected me because she was, well, I had the Amex girl calendar. So (laughs) same thing, young adult thing. We were trying to raise money to go racing. So I created this calendar with one of my friends. So bring awareness to ladies who were racing with me. And it actually grew bigger. And then we had uh, girls from the States and more across Canada and a little bit everywhere. Um, and then one of them was Catherine and Catherine, I remember was a young lady coming up in the ranks and, um, somehow the word got to me after she passed that she was looking up to me as a racer. Cause I was doing my own thing and obviously going to the races alone <laughs> when you're that young. So we will, people get talking, right. Um, so after she passed, I sat down with her dad cause he was like, Hey, just want to let you know, but she's been looking up to you. She wanted to be like you, like this whole thing. And it kind of hit me there because I wasn't racing anymore and I was missing it, but you know, kind of living a life of the party early (laughs) twenties. So, um, that was kind of my life at the time. But when that happened, it really hit me. And I was like, I can't have young girls looking up to me and just being kind of a washed up racer at like, 21, 22, whatever it was. So I really put my head down after that, got a quad again, built it. Um, I've been really loyal to the companies I've used over the years, like whether it was Walsh, I've always raced Walsh, always been a Yamaha and Fast Flex, like a bunch of um, companies that helped me. I stick with them. And when I came back in 2011, there was no looking back. I was really determined to race and win whatever I was going to race. So whether I was going to be with the guys, with the girls, whatever, I was going to fight my hardest. So I wasn't at least going to be, I didn't want to be a loser. Let's just be honest. (laughs) I really wanted to make a mark. I wanted to be one of the best, if not the best Canadian to ever race a quad. Um, I wanted to make a mark in the States as well. So I did race quite a bit in the States. I worked in the industry following that. Um, and then I moved to Alberta, which is above Montana. So I'm from Quebec. Um, I lived in Montreal while I was racing as well. Um, and then I moved to Alberta five, six years ago now. Raced here with the guys. I I made it up to pro here. Um with the guys, because the women class here wasn't quite the same caliber as well coming from the states, like the nationals in the states. Um, but then it's hard to say. Like I have always, my heart's a little broken over this one because when I 2015, I raced the nationals. Not the whole series, obviously, couldn't afford that quite of a championship. But I raced quite a few races. And then I moved here. So coming from the Nationals to Alberta, it's quite a bit of a smaller series. So saying I'm racing pro with the guys is not <laughs> racing pros with Wienan. Like <laughs> he would still make laps around me, you know? <laughs> uh, 
Um, but I was still really happy. I did win an uh, intermediate championship here, uh, race, big races. Like the number we have here is a 24 hour ice race. Um, we started our, um, a race team, I guess I should say more for fun, but it turned out to be pretty serious. Um, when I don't remember when I raced with you at the 12 hours, if do you remember which year it was, was I with Donna then? You know, I don't even, I don't remember what year it was. Um, <laughs> no, I don't remember what year it was. Yeah, that's fine. I've raised the 12 hours in Quebec quite a few times as well. Um, anyways, we started this race team called the racing cheetahs. It was more for fun and giggles, you know, but it really stick to people's minds. So now we've been doing a lot of things with that race thing, the race team. Um, the 12 hours was the first one. And then we raced a 24 hour ice race here in Alberta a couple of times. We podium both times. The first year was the third place. The second year was the second place with only one lap down from the winner. <laughs> we got so close. Um, and now we're actually set to go race in Africa in March in a side by side. So we're, you, yeah, you mentioned it's, something about that, um, and the machines been already been shipped there, and with COVID, there's nothing you can do. Oh, this is a huge thing, actually, because the race itself is a huge deal. You have to raise so much money for it. Um, you have to build a side by side that not quite what you would see at best in a desert or Baja, but because we don't have any GPS, it's all mapping compass. So the build will be, it's a little bit different. Um, but then we finished building it over Christmas last year. We shipped it from Edmonton, Canada on January 6th. It got to Morocco in March. It was March 2nd. Yeah. And then since then it's been there. So that's been a huge headache. Cause first of all, everybody knows that if you have a machine sitting in the garage for a year, it might need some work. It's not ideal. Um, so now we've been dealing with that. We've been dealing with the fact that technically having a unit on Morocco, um, like in Morocco country over there is not quite a government. Like we know it's loyalty, like it's a King and the Prince and all that. So they make the rule and they decide, I'm not sure quite how it works, but they're really like their country, their thing, like it's close. So our side-by-side wasn't supposed to be there for more than 45 days. (laughs) We are now November. (laughs) So um, we're hoping to leave in March. So it will be a year after the departure date. We're leaving technically March 2nd. If it's a go, hopefully it is. Um, and yeah, that's been quite of a adventure without even making it there, but our side-by-side has been there. So (laughs) sitting in the warm, (laughs) is it, is it, is it secure? As far as we're concerned? Yes. Um, we do have someone that we're told is reliable. Every time I've asked for photos, videos or whatever, it's always sitting in the same place. It's wrapped. It looks like a big Saren wrap thingy right now um it's got a sealed as well from customs because we had to send like carne and all the stuff with it so really what we're told is that if this guy that owns this garage would move our side by side he could lose his garage um 
I mean, <laughs> who knows what's true and what's not, but we got to believe it. So, <laughs> well, that, well, that's awesome that it's, that it's there. Um, that's, that's a different country. I've been there and, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a whole new world. Yeah. I mean, I really hope we'll get to see it. <laughs> I hope you do too. Uh, most of the people that, that travel in the States have no idea when you go there, if you don't go to the, uh, vacation spots or the tourist traps, um, that, that, that is a, that, that is a totally, totally different world than anybody's used to, or it, you, it's a little culture, sh- culture shock. Uh, I mean, I seen things that blew my mind and, uh, thought, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to go there again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, thinking of it, um, we're spending nine days without our cell phone or any communication device in the Sahara desert. That's, that's, that's tough because without any communication in the life we live now, um, put your cell phone down for a couple hours. Right. <laughs> I mean, Maybe nine days. <laughs> you, may, you know what, but it may cure you of the cell phone and you may not ever want to pick it up again. It is true. I mean, we do have a tracker on our unit. So in case something happens, like we have a mecha- mechanical failure that we cannot fix because we have to do our own mechanic when we're out there. Um, or if there is something major like snake bite or scorpion or, you know, these kind of animals, I guess to you, um, then we have a helicopter that's going to get to us like within 10 minutes. Um, we don't have a way to communicate with them. Like by voice, it's just like two buttons, like a blue and a red one in problem mechanical is the blue one emergency red one. And that's it. You just wait. <laughs> it's kind of like the way they used to run the rallies in the Dakar, you know, you yep. button, you push that button and that helicopter swooped in and saved you. You know, well, at least most of the time they saved you. <laughs> you hope they do anyways. <laughs> right, right. So you're looking forward to that's a That's a big deal. It is a huge deal. I've been wanting to do this one for years now. And well, somehow I have to wait one more year <laughs> before it happens. Um, but finally, after all these years and all the racing I've done, I feel like I'm ready for this kind of challenge. And I'm actually excited to get to it and move on to the next one. Like there will be something else after I'm not hundred percent sure what, but I have a pretty good idea. So, but I got to get through the first one first. So there you go. Yeah. um, If we could backtrack a little and when you started back into your racing in 2011, can you elaborate a little bit on how did you prepare yourself mentally and physically for that? So, um, I actually reached out my roommate at a time, Mary, she, her, one of our good friends was a trainer. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. Like I need someone, I need some sort of guidance. Like I really want to be serious about racing. And I always feel that us women have a bit of a disadvantage because we're smaller, like not as strong as the guys. So if you can actually train and be a bit stronger, it's not going to be a bad thing. So I went in a little hardcore when I put my, my head into something, I really go 100% into it. Um, so I was training twice a day for five times a week, six times a week. Um, 
And I didn't like back then, I don't remember having a car. I was walking to the gym or biking to the gym, depending winter or not. Um, but yeah, I was training twice a day and I was, I don't know. It really hit me. Like when Catherine passed, it's like, there is no doubt in my mind. I was like, I'm going back to racing and I'm winning. Like I never doubted myself for some reason. I was going to do whatever I could to be in that position where I was going to be the fastest. Obviously, you're not always the fastest, <laughs> but when you have that mentality, at least you don't start defeated. So you already have the mentality, okay, I'm here to win. Like so you're going to lay it all out and see what happens. So the the mental preparation was the mindset from your friend passing um and your physical training took a whole new turn for you because you'd never trained at that level before? Um, I was training before just once a day or four or five times a week, a bit more laid back, I would say. Um, when I started training twice a day, five, six times a week, plus biking to the gym and back and I was working uh, in a restaurant back then in Montreal. So my shift was like Monday and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I think. So I had lots of time to train and really that's all I did. <laughs> and as soon as the snow melted, I was out on the track practicing, trying to who's the fastest on the track and always try to beat that person. It was kind of my way of doing it anyways when you were training, what, uh, what exactly did you do? I mean, as far as were you hitting the weights or was it more of a body, you know, style, uh, you know, using your own body weight or did you, um, what did you do? Um, it was kind of a mix of both. I, my memory isn't that great to go in that kind of details, but I remember doing a lot of strongman training, which was my favorite. So you know, the strongmen you see on TV. Yes. So they have to be really endurant, but also really strong. And I figured, and my coach figured the same, that if I could hold on and train as hard as they do and try to the lift as heavy as possible for my weight, obviously. Um, but for the longest time, it would help me. And it made a tremendous difference. Like I, it was all in the gym. It was happening because it was a pretty big gym too, where you could train any kind of training possible. Really. Uh, I think it's one of the biggest gym in the world actually still as of today. Um, so you wanted to do strongman training, CrossFit, ninja style training, name it. They had it all over there. So that helped. Um, but yeah, I, and I had like a Muay Thai coach. Um, I did quite a bit of training with that too, more for cardio because running on a treadmill is really not my thing. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that was pretty much, yeah. Lifting weights and doing like strong and training, which is basically lifting weight as well. Just a bit more functional and doing some Muay Thai and stuff like that. Yeah. It's pretty much what I did. Did you do any, uh, did you like to compete in the Muay Thai at all? Um, yes, I wanted to, but I had to make choices. <laughs> I can't do it all. <laughs> Unless someone would have just come in my life and be like, oh yeah, don't worry about working. <laughs> just train. <laughs> That'd be great. But, um, we all know it doesn't really happen. 
So I was interested in it. I did a lot of sparing session and I, I was training pretty hard at it, but not like I was just, I think at that point where I was training just enough to be in shape and decent, but not good enough for fighting, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I don't believe that you can achieve a hundred percent of everything all at the same time. Sorry. I'll close my door. <laughs> Apologize for the dogs. <laughs> That's okay. We'll, uh, yeah, well, you're not using this. Like we can, you can cut right and edit. We'll 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 cut and edit, edit that part. Like what I'll do is is during this portion, stop it and put commercials in. Okay, give me a second. I'll go stop the dogs then. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. That's okay. We have we have puppies here, and they get in the they get in the way every once in a while. And when you learn how to do all this, sound is the biggest thing. And I have made some huge sound mistakes where I've had to scrap <laughs> where I've had to scrap entire episodes because we didn't do the sound right. So, oh really? Oh yeah. <laughs> we were we were loading one into the system and doing the editing and it was it was my episode that my son had been in town and he uh he was interviewed me for the show and uh it didn't go the sound mm -hmm. was bad and we didn't catch it until he'd already went home and we we're getting ready to load it in the system so i had to call him and go hey what are you doing <laughs> so in the middle of the in the night he lives in idaho and uh, he locked himself in the basement and we taped the episode over zoom and it worked out. And it was just one of those things that you live and learn. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a media person, just I'm a race mechanic. That's what I do. I build quads for a living. Um, that's what I've always loved to do. That's why I've got to travel all over the world and do the things that I've done because of building quads, not because I was ever a phenomenal rider or not because I was a media guy, but because I could build quads and so this portion is the, the why I do ATV talk is because you have a story. You have a unique story that we all do. And it's important that you are allowed to tell your story. And uh, I know we got off on a little tangent on your training because everybody has a different method. And what I want to show all the different men or women you can't put yourself in a box and say, I do this so I can only do this. I have a different physique. I have a different need. Uh, my muscles need this or my muscles need that. So you need to be able to train everything. And that's why I ask. And that's why I, I like you to elaborate on those things because it helps the up and comers. And, you know, I still train and I'm in my fifties. Do I ride as much? No, because my body can't take it. It, it hurts. And, um, as much as I hate to admit that I do some testing 
and I do some, a little bit of writing, but it just hurts. So I, I don't do it as much. You still, we paused. What, uh, when you get done with the race in March, you said that you were thinking about having an, uh, another event. What is that? Or do you mind letting the cat out of the bag? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm okay talking about it because it's still just a, a project at this point. Um, but there is this race in Canada called the Kings Quest. And you guys have the Iron Dog in Alaska as well. It's a snowmobile race. Okay. Not that many people actually finish that. It's a huge race. It's like, I, I don't know, in miles, maybe 2,500 miles over like a week. Like I'm, I'm starting to figure out that the older I get, the longer the race I like to do. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense. The harder, the tougher, the mentally challenging, like racing. I really like that. I really like to put myself in a situation where it's all on you. So whether it, I mean, okay, if you're side by side, your snowmobile fails, it happens. But at least it's not on you. It's not your fault. You can prepare as much as you want, but mechanical issues, they happen. But when it's like long, like Sarah Desert for nine days, <laughs> I'm excited about that. It sounds cool. Like it sounds difficult. So let's do it. Well, yes and no. I mean, we have to have like, we have to be completely covered and you wear a helmet and goggles for nine days. So not going to be that bad. I don't think I'm coming back 10 <laughs> at all. <laughs> I don't think I'm getting a 10 out of it. <laughs> I do have another question. I yeah. noticed that you did some motorcycle ride racing as well. Um, how does the cross train for you or how does the, the uh, crossover from the motorcycle to the ATV work for you? Really hard. <laughs> it's really difficult. Um, so maybe I should start by saying that I'm not quite a natural rider. Like some people, like you watch Hetrick going from a quad to a bike and you're like, did he even learn to ride this thing? Or he just like ride it. Like he can just do it. Right. I'm not quite like that. I had to learn like with quad racing was a huge learning process for me. Um, well, bike is the same. So <laughs> it's not plus, I guess I should say, um, I decided to start everything. Cause I, I can't say I quit ATV racing cause I will always race it here and there. It's just not as serious as I used to be. And I also want to do other type of racing. Um, uh, but I decided to start riding and racing other things after I was 30. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard to learn new things. Like a lot of people are just born with two wheels and they're just, Oh yeah. The twist throttle, for instance, I'm too stubborn to put a thumb on my bike. <laughs> so that's a really hard one for me to learn to ride a motorcycle with the twist that I've never been around before. So um, yeah, the transition has been really hard. It's finally starting to click together, at least for off-road riding. Um, motocross is 
still a learning curve, <laughs> pretty steep. <laughs> you need to put a twist throttle on your quad. And I've heard that, but I don't think I want to do it. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm an avid twist throttle person. I don't like the thumb throttles at all. A lot of California people actually are twist throttle fanatic for the quad. Well, seems like anyways. You got to figure when when I started, all there were were twist throttles on motorcycles. Everything mm-hmm. twist throttles. So when the ATVs came out, you automatically put a twist throttle on there. Yep, makes sense. And then and then as we got older and the industry grew then more and more people would just ride them with the thumb throttle on them uh, because they didn't have the motorcycle background. They started on ATVs with thumb throttles. So it was more natural. Yeah. I don't know about twist for me. <laughs> well, it, it's a learned thing. It, it really is. I mean, and it's a personal preference. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be ashamed. I know many men that have put thumb throttles on their dirt bikes because they couldn't ride the twist throttle. Um, and, and it's okay. I know I, I did try the thumb and then I crashed at some point and broke my cable and the cable was back order. So I had to put the twist back on and it's been on ever since, um, riding like in the mountains, in the bush, wherever with the twist, for some reason, no problem is when I hit the track, <laughs> it's just not clicking yet. Well, the more you do the more you do it, the better it will come and then you'll be able to. So have you competed on the two wheeler as well? Um, I almost did. <laughs> I did attend an even about three weeks ago, but it was not quite a race. Um, I was planning a race, the motocross series here in Canada, but it's looking like, well, right now it, everything is so uncertain. Like I would have probably raced this year if we actually had some racing going on, but we didn't really have anything or nothing really major. Um, so next year, it sounds like we're going to have some off-road racing for sure. So that's something I want to try. Cause I mean, going from ATV motocross to motocross, it's a thing, but going from ATV motocross to bush racing a dirt bike i feel like it's a bit more extreme <laughs> like the difference so uh, i'm gonna give it a try you know <laughs> um so i'm hoping i can there's the desert challenge uh is that like odessa in washington i'd like to try that one okay you may as well start strong <laughs> with like a hundred mile <laughs> why not jump jump into the deep water why swim in the kiddie pool right exactly <laughs> <laughs> So you're going to race the motorcycle and mm-hmm. you're struggling with the twist throttle. Um, and you've got the UTV thing going and you also mentioned snowmobiles. How big of a deal for the, for that is you, because you're talking to a Southern California boy that no, I'm not a beach goer. I'm a desert goer. So snow is foreign to me. <laughs> Uh, it's white. It's cold. (laughs) Um, so basically if we go back, uh, I don't remember what year it was like probably 2013, 20, actually no, 2014. It was a good year. 2014 was my best year ever. I was just winning championship over championship. I don't know what I ate for that season, but it was good because I was going well. Um, I got a call from a race team in 
somewhere northeast of the United States, they're racing the ECS Snowcross Championship over there. I've never been on a snowmobile, which is kind of odd considering I'm from Canada. Um, and then they're like, hey, you want to race a snowmobile this winter? Sure. <laughs> he said the word racing. I'm in. Um, so they actually hooked me up. All I had to do is show up. So I showed up for every single race. I ended up winning both classes I was racing in. Um, turns out snowmobile doesn't have a clutch in like five, six gears. It's just stop and go. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a bit easier. Um, so I initially said yes. Cause I thought my, I hate winter. I hate the cold. I hate the conditions. I hate everything about winter. It's pretty simple. So I was like, well, wait, you know what? Wait a minute. You live in Canada. <laughs> I didn't get a choice on that. <laughs> I was just born here. Okay. All right. I'm just, I was just checking because that, you know, that's like living in Southern California and not liking the heat. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I really hated winter. Now, I still hate it, but not as much. We'll put it that way. Um, but I, I just thought, like, if I race every weekend, it's going to go by so much faster. It's going to get, like, it's going to be something I have to look forward to every weekend, something I really have no clue about. So let's start something new. Um, so it's kind of how I got started. and then. 2015, I moved to Alberta. There's no snowcross racing here. Um, I actually moved my snowcross here. It hasn't really moved since it's still in the garage. Um, but yeah, so moving here was a, well, first it was a big move. <laughs> so you're moving about 45 hours away from home. And then I get in this foreign place. I moved from Montreal to a very small town. There's everything is closed at five, which I'm not quite used to it. By now I am, but at first I wasn't. So just this first year of adapting to this new lifestyle and everything. Um, but I can see the mountains, like the Rockies from where I live now. So I was like, hmm, I wonder if I would like to ride a snowmobile in the mountains. So sure enough, give it a try. And I was so hooked. It's got to be... Uh, <laughs> probably in my top one <laughs> things I've done. Like <laughs> it's it's, I love it. It's just, you can still push yourself. You can get in places that nobody can get to. You get the views, like nobody can see them. Like it's just amazing. And you're out there on your own. Like your life is in your hand. Your buddy's life is in your hand. Like there's nobody from miles away. Like you don't have cell phone service. You don't have nothing. You're really alone on top of the mountain. And really the feeling of like, I don't know, like on a dirt bike, when you're turning and you just get this flow going, it's just, I don't know. It's nice. Well, imagine that times a hundred on a snowmobile. Like I can get my shoulder in the snow and still turn and it's just kind of floating. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like magical. <laughs> it's very nice. <laughs> and that's awesome. I mean, you're explaining it great. I mean, that's, that's excellent uh, because you're talking to somebody that it, they, they, everybody tells me I need to try it. Yes. And it's it's kind of like riding a quad, but quite kind of not. And, and you'll figure it out, you know? It's kind of like everything I find. Like sometimes it feels like riding quads. Sometimes it feels more like the dirt bike. Um, it's kind of a mix of everything, you know, honestly, like it's, and 
as much like they're really heavy but once you get them like going honestly they're kind of weightless like it's just you can go like you can watch some people like some pro guys go in and you'd be amazed by the amount of crazy things they can do honestly <laughs> that's incredible i'm definitely gonna have to try that out yeah, uh, let me know. <laughs> my wife has done it and she loves it and uh, she wants me to do it. So I, I guess I'm going to have to try it out. So if we could get a little motivational here for the younger people that are listening, um, how would you best tell them to promote themselves and to extend their racing career or to get it started? Um, there's many things I can say actually to that. The first one is be true to yourself. Um, through my career, I've seen a lot of people just trying to get somewhere and it's not gonna get you anywhere on the long term. Be true to yourself, respect yourself. Um, whatever dream you have, just go for it. Cause honestly, if you're willing to put in the work and the time and the sacrifices that go with it, you'll get there. It just, there's no time that you can tell, like you can put a time frame and say, okay, by next year, I want to be there. But if you have like really big goals, it might not happen over the year. So it's important. You never give up because sometimes you're that close. And if you give up, you're just never going to get that wicked feeling of achievement. And it's something you can't really describe because you have to, experience it, I think, to know how it feels, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. That's what, that's what brings you back. You know, like they say in golf, it's that one shot in 18 holes, that shot brings you back every time. And I, I got my first ride on a three-wheeler by my dad when I was four years old. And that was in 1969. And I've never looked back. I love it. And I'm not going back. It's an it's an industry thing for me. I love ATV racing. I love ATVs and the family that we have is incredible. I'll agree with that. Anywhere you go, you have this connection with this kind of people. Yeah, don't know, don't know them, but you're instantly nope. friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's the same whether it's ATV or snowmobiling or the razor thing. Like, it, it, I think it's the same. Like, it's just a bunch of passionate people just trying to make it. Like, it's a good time. That's it is. It really is. And I, you know, I spent more time working at it than I do getting to enjoy the certain portions of it, but. It, uh, some of my most fondest memories are of people that I probably don't know their name, but I can remember our conversations. I can remember what they look like. And if I see them again, I'll say hi because the time we got to spend together was, you know, in the middle of some dirt patch somewhere and that nobody's ever going to go to. There's no reason to, but we're out there getting dirty on our ATVs, uh, having a ball. That's very true. I, I remember, um, 
One of my good friends, she races a lot of desert stuff. And I went a few times to chase for her. <laughs> you're in the middle of desert. You're covered everywhere because it's windy and the sun just gets in your eyes. And it's just crazy. You come back at night. You're exhausted. You're tired. We had the best time ever. <laughs> exactly. And that's and that's what it that's what it's all about. I mean, I, I can't think of of going and doing anything more fun than playing in the dirt. It's, uh, I, I haven't got to travel at all this year and, um, I don't know what 2021 holds for me. Um, but we'll see. I'm not, I'm not against going and back out and, and doing it again. Same here. <laughs> well, if I could get to Africa, it would be a great first step. <laughs> I think you're going to really enjoy Africa. Uh, some of the, the desert plain area that we got to uh, go in when we went, I went there for a rally and uh, it was a lot of fun. Not as much wildlife as, as I expected. In the portion of the desert that we were in, in Morocco, um, there just wasn't a lot of, uh, of, of wildlife. We saw some camels and some other things, but not, not what you expected. You know, you, you think you're going to go to Africa and see the plains and see lions and, and, uh, all kinds of other different stuff. And, and now it just wasn't there. Yeah. I think you have to be worried more about little stuff at that area. <laughs> well, you're not traveling to Australia. I mean, Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> Most of the snakes in Africa are big. So you see them. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know what their spider population is like, but in the desert where I think where you're going to be, I don't think you have a, a ton to worry about. You know, that doesn't mean be uncautious, but you know, I, I think you'll have a great time and, and, and it's going to be a great experience. And I hope that after you get back from there, that you will come and tell us all about it. Oh, for sure. Just let me know. <laughs> well, you'll have to reach out to me and, and, and make sure you send me some photos and, and tell me how this, how it goes for you and, and you know, what your finish was like, or even if you don't finish, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I want to know what the experience is like. Plus I really want to know if you get your machine back. Oh God, I sure hope so. Cause we invested a lot in it and we have a lot of great sponsors that actually are supporting us. So <laughs> We have to, <laughs> we have to. <laughs> are you trying to sell it over there so you don't have to bring it home? Or are you going to bring it home? Nope. We're bringing it back and then, and then we'll see, we might sell it. We might do something else. There's other, I mean, there's other stuff that interests me as well. Like, well, it's not that much smaller. I don't think it's just not in Africa, but when you look at the Nora or the Sonora rally, like I can actually drive there. So <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> Have you thought about anything like Dakar? Um, yes, except that it's a big project with a lot of money involved. And I'm definitely not close to the idea, but when you, I, I have actually looked into like renting a side by side from, you know, there's a few specific teams that will rent you a side by side or building one if you have the budget or just having a, team over there like it's huge money like way way bigger than what we're actually doing in africa so not saying no to it um but definitely not in the next couple of years 
I, I hope you get that experience. I really do. Um, some friends of mine from here in the States, the Matlocks are getting to go. And um, I, I believe I never got to go as a rider. I was always a mechanic. And I believe that it is an experience that you must, ex- you must go through to understand. And it's going back. Um, it's not going to be in South America where I like, I got to go. It's in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I, I would love to go there and try that, try it out there because I know how crazy it was the first year in South America. And mm-hmm. I mean, I got to go three years out of the first six and it, it was, uh, the last one was the easiest and the funnest, but the first one was an experience that I will cherish for the rest of my life because I've never been so miserable and so happy all at the same time. (laughs) See, that's a feeling I like though. Like I'm all for this kind of stuff. Like I really had a good time. I really have good memories and good days behind me of racing ATV motocross. And I will probably race again for fun, but those long, hard race, there is something about it that, I don't know what it takes you somewhere else. It gets you to this place in your mind. You didn't know you had. I believe it has to do with the maturity. Cause if you look at all of your past motocross champions and all of your ATV champions worldwide, the fastest, best guys are all older. Oh yeah. Women don't generally compete as long but you see the older gals do the better portion and then they retire. So there's something to be said for the strength, the inner strength and the physical strength that you gain as you get a little older, not too old. I mean, it's kind of crazy. You look at, you look at Chad. Mm -hmm. If you go back and, and you think about it, uh, he has changed things in his program and he has evolved as a racer. To at his age to be going as fast as he does and is as consistent of a rider as he is, that's phenomenal. I cannot wait to sit down and have a conversation with him because I know that at 54 years old, you know, I would love to be able to go ride for half that time. Yeah, I mean, Chad is definitely a great, great, great example for our sport. Like, he's probably one of the guys, like, one of the writers I look up the most to because I've met Chad, like, years ago. Like, the first uh, years, like, at Montreal Supercross, like, before I remember the sparkling Honda. (laughs) That's the years, like, and it was, like, from that to today, the evolution, his program, everything, like, it's awesome. And I mean, coming back from a broken back and like everything he's just went through and how he's put it together and where he's at today. I mean, hats off. Like it's amazing. I met Chad when Tavis Kane was racing and he was just barely making the show in the pro class. And, um, I mean, I don't get to talk to him very often, but he was always a, a good kid. I call him a kid and he's, you know, he's a grown man with a wife and kids now. And, <laughs> you know, he's almost 40 and, and you're just, yeah, no, he's still a kid to me, but it's a lot of fun watching the progression 
you know, I got to spend a lot of years with Doug Eichner and, you know, he won championships after he turned 40 in off-road racing, which. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you no, know, it is really amazing, but I think like it has a lot to do with the passion these guys have for the sport. You're not passionate. I mean, nobody is making it to have like the best living ever. Like you're getting injured and your body's going to hurt and you're not making millions. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> so. No, you don't race ATVs for money. You race ATVs nope. for love. Yep. Very and, true. And you, all of them, anybody that gets into it for money usually doesn't last long. Mm-mm. No, I think the good years are behind. Well, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate you taking the time with me. I've had a great conversation with you and I learned a little bit and, um, I would like to make sure and extend the, the invitation to you that after you come back in March, um, I know we're called ATV talk, but we're still the same family. And if you'd like to, to tell us about that, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Excellent. Um, thank you very much. And if you could just uh, hold on for a second. We were, uh, we were talking um, about all the fun stuff that we get to do. And I want to ask a question. I've been staring at those antlers behind you. What's the backstory on that? Um, well, so when I moved to Alberta, I... Like I mentioned, I was living in Montreal where everything is open 24 seven, basically. So I would say like, I was always getting my food at the grocery. Like I try to eat as clean as possible, but if I wanted to eat beef or bison or elk, whatever, I could find it at the grocery in Montreal. Moved to Rocky Mountain House, which is a very small town. And all they have in the store is beef. I was like, what do you guys eat here? (laughs) Like what's going on? Like little Montreal girl here is a little lost. <laughs> um, so my buddies were like, well, we hunt. I'm like, yeah, I love animals. I can't do that. So he said, well, why don't you just give it a try? Okay. I'm going to give it a try. So there goes me telling my in-law that he used to hunt like crazy. I'm like, okay. I think I want to give it a try. Like, I don't know if I can do it, but if I don't try, I will never know. Like, sure, no problem. You can hunt on my property. If you need help, let me know. And me, as I do everything, I just start to do it. Racing was the same. I watched a race. I was like, okay, I want to race. Hunting, I'm like, okay, I want to hunt. So there goes me walking by myself in the bush under the stars. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I've practiced my shot. I got a gun. Let's see what I can do. Um, I'm trying to be as ethical as possible. I don't want to kill a baby either. I would like to not kill a mom ever unless there's a world apocalypse and I need to feed myself. Um, so there goes me thinking, okay, I want to kill a buck. That's going to be not a baby, hopefully a couple three years old, something like that. Um, hopefully a clean shot and I'll see how that goes. Well, after watching deer over deer over more deer for two weeks in a row, that it gets cold in Canada. So it was in minus 15, minus 20, which I don't know, Fahrenheit is going to be even, it's kind of close. It gets close when you get in the cold uh, temperature. So froze my butt for two weeks. And then this deer, this poor guy here, <laughs> showed up. I'm like, all right, 
I think I got it. And I did. So I shot my first deer is four years ago now. And my in-law actually came and showed me how to do all the work because I didn't even know. And since then, every year, like it's hunting season right now, I was just out there just before this call. <laughs> and yeah, so that's kind of my thing now. I'm, start, I'm trying to smarten up. I went sheep hunting uh, last year. Unfortunately, this year is just a super weird year, year. But by living by the mountain, we have like such great and crazy mountain and landscape. So I went sheep hunting as well. And I'm hoping to be able to maybe live off the grid, but, you know, be able to sustain. Is that a word? Sorry. Sometimes French take over and I'm like confused, but <laughs> you know, at least try to provide like for my family. I'm hoping like have a garden now and, you know, adult life got to me. <laughs> Why did you move to where you live now? Um, well, first off, since I was about 10 year old, I would always tell my mom I was moving. First, I said to California, that was where I was going to go because I hated winter. Um, my mom was always like, well, wherever you want to move, just go first. And for some reason I met my boyfriend now, uh, racing in the States. Actually, we met in Unadilla and I didn't think much of it because he lives across the country and in Canada. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, but then his parents came to Loretta Lynn's and they're like, Hey, you want to come race a race where we live? And I'm like, of course it was my good year. I was on a roll. I would race everywhere. I was like, let's go try it. So they flew me here where I live now. <laughs> and, uh, I really fell in love with the place. Like I already liked the guy. So that was a bonus, but I really like, I came here and I felt like home instantly. And after a year of, uh, dating Jamie, actually, I was like, man, I don't know about you, but I'm moving. Like, I'm not doing it for you. I'm loving this place. So, but then I, I've been here and we've been together for six years now. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a good story. That's a good story. That's, yeah. that's the way it's supposed to be. I like, like good stories. Maybe. My whole life is a story. <laughs> well, what does he think about this? Which part? <laughs> well, the, the coming on ATV talk. Oh, he thinks it's awesome. He was actually very surprised. Um, actually, you might have heard of him. Uh, his name is Jamie Vanry. He actually raced in California and then broke both of his legs on that quadruple at Glen Helen or something like that. Okay. Uh, that's a few years ago now. And, and then he got back racing when we met yeah, because his legs were a big deal. Like both broke of his leg and rod is in one of them. And you know, the, the racer story. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So no, he's actually pretty stoked. Cause uh, we all like here in Canada, racing ATV is not dead, but not strong. So to hear that someone is still out there promoting the sport and doing something for it, it's he is stoked. And I, so am I, I think it's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe when you come on after you get back from Africa that you have him with you and maybe I could talk to him and ask him some questions. Yeah, for sure. That would be great. I really yeah. appreciate it. Again, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know everybody's always busy. Um, and I know you were busy preparing some other stuff. 
So please hit me back when you get back or keep me keeping, keep going with me so that I know what your plans are and if everything's working out for you. Um, and, uh, we'll get you back on the show and, and, uh, hear all about Africa and, and how good it was for you. I will for sure. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, Cynthia. And you reach out to ATV talk anytime, uh, you can get us on Facebook and Instagram and you obviously have all my contacts. So don't ever hesitate to reach out. If you have some information or feedback for us, we would love it. You know, thank you. Really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, well, thank yourself because your information that you put out there attracted me to you and the, the, uh, bio that you sent me, you know, made it more, more exciting to talk to you and to find out what you were all about and, and realizing that we had met years, years past at another event, you know, I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got it. And, and here we are. So I know that we're, we're wrapping up here, but, um, if you come into contact with anybody that, that would like to be on the show or you think should be on the show, send them my way. I, I am not against, uh, I don't know all the Canadian writers. Uh, I know there's a a few that have made a name in the States and I uh, would be more than willing to uh, sit and talk with them and, and hear that what they have to say about racing in another country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we'll be in touch and I'll, I have a few people I'm thinking already. So yeah. And you know, I'm even like, even the industry people, I'm not just talking about the racers. There's always good stories behind the scenes, you know, with some of the sponsors and, and, uh, some of them haven't came out on the show yet, but they're going to, um, you know, I just have to get them unbusy so that I can spend time with them. Uh, you know, same with me. We're, we're always working. Um, you know, I I was late to our, to our time because I was working. (laughs) So I get that (laughs) never stops. (laughs) It doesn't, but again, thank you so much for your time. I know I've said it a million times, but I really do appreciate it. And, and I know that you're busy and, um, I want to, uh, just extend the invitation again, please reach out and, and let's do this again. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You as well. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org. Or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.